Welcome to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. Enjoy today's message. May you experience the presence of our Father and may you grow deeper in your relationship with Him. But relationships are a beautiful thing. They're a precious thing. If we're totally honest, at least before we married, and I think it probably just gets even more once we married, you probably spend more time as a believing follower of Jesus, speaking to your friends about, praying about, fasting about relationships than any other thing. Am I right? Or was that just me and my friends? You know, when you're at varsity, 90% of your accountability time is about relational stuff. Your prayer, the stuff that you're wrestling with God with, is about that girl or about that guy. If you're it's something which is so central to who we are, and God designed it that way right at the beginning. He said, it's not good. It's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. And then he looks at this man and he says, it's not good for man to be alone. Right from the outset, God designed men and women, to be together in this beautiful, beautiful way. But as much as our relationships are beautiful, as much as they're precious, they're hard. There are times when relationships can be the end of us, where they really do break us. There are times when they lift us to the highest of heights, and there are times when our relation that's why they cause us to pray so much, is they can take us to our lowest of lows as well. And that's one of the reasons why, for me, it's so important that we invest healthily into our relationships. So before we carry on with sort of the theme for tonight, I want us just to take a moment and just for your own mind, think very quickly. If you're in a relationship, then it's easy to sort of put a name and a face to the relationship. If you're not in a relationship yet, the relationship that you're hoping for, what would be your win from the relationship? What, why do you want that relationship? What do you want from that relationship? If you have to pick one thing, and I know there are many things, relationships are complex, there are many dynamics, various different things that you can put in there and that all ought to be there and they're not wrong as such, but for you, sort of, what is the one thing that jumps out? What is your win? What is it that you want from a relationship? If this were to happen in my relationship, that would be a win. And that's an important question for us to ask. Especially if you, in a Christian sense, like we are tonight, moving towards the idea of marriage. You know, a question that a lot of people ask in the world today before they find out I'm a pastor is, why did you get married? So often people say, don't ever get married. Why did I and my wife get married? Why did we choose to get married? Why did we not just choose to move in together, to live together, to pursue a life together? Why did we make that deliberate decision to stand up in front of others, to commit covenant to one another? Why did we do Why did we go, in a sense, what the world might see as the extra step? And for us, for me, that, that answer is really simple. The number one thing that I want for my relationship is for God to be glorified. It's for God to be glorified. And for me, 
to glorify God in my relationship, that requires marriage. I can't just move in with my wife. Obviously, she'd be my girlfriend then, my life partner, whatever else you want to call it. Live together, be together, and glorify God at the same time. Those two would be mutually exclusive. It's one or the other. But it is important for us that we, when we go into a relationship, we define our expectations well. And for those of you who are moving towards marriage, I want to encourage you, strongly consider marriage prep. Even if you're not engaged yet, marriage preparation is a great place to speak, to think about what is it that I want from a marriage, from a relationship. Speak about expectations and hopes and realities and all of those different challenges around marriage. There's a verse in Scripture, which as I was preparing for this message, I realized is only in half of our Scriptures because different translators translate this thought slightly differently. But in many of us, we at least have heard this thought in Isaiah chapter 59 where it says, when the enemy comes in like a flood, God raises up a standard. And the idea there that so often when I initially heard that, I thought that it means that when God raises up a standard, God kind of lifts the average. And then I realized that that's not what it means at all. What that passage speaks about is if you want to imagine your favorite old school war movie, sort of pre-First World War war movie. You know those wars which I still don't know what they were thinking where they'd stand in a line facing one another. You shoot, then we shoot, then you shoot, then we shoot. And I'm like, that's the last way. If I ever go to war, that's the last way I'm going to war. I don't know, how do you get people just to stand in the line and let people shoot their cannons at you and you just stand there and hope they miss and maybe if you're lucky they hit the guy next to you and not you. you know? But you see these movies like Braveheart and those type of movies, Gladiator, where they run into battle and normally they'd run and someone would be carrying a flag, a banner on a pole. You know what that banner is called? That flag is called? It's got a specific name. It's a standard. And typically what happens in the movie is the battle is at the end. Your team, you know, the good guys, they're losing and the standard is lying on the ground and then somebody runs and they pick up the standard. And they lift up the standard, and as the standard is lifted up, the good guys see the standard lifted up, and then kind of they all become supermen. Superhuman strength comes upon them, and suddenly they can win this battle. Because somebody has lifted up a standard. Somebody has reminded them, we are here for a reason. And they gather together, they rally around the standard, and that standard serves as a rallying, call, a rallying point for them. And when Scripture says that, they will, that God lifts up a standard, that's the standard that he's referring to, that the text refers to. A banner that's being lifted up. And so for tonight, our invitation, my reason for sharing this for us, is that we would come together and rally around a standard. A standard that I believe God is lifting up and that he's wanting to draw us more to than ever before. Because here's the other crazy thing. Apart from the fact that you probably spend more time praying about relationships than anything else, especially in the younger part of your life, the other truth is that you probably have two major sources of input regarding your relationship and relational expectations. The first one is from your parents, from what you witnessed. 
perhaps like me, you came from a home where that marriage ended up in divorce and it's not always the best picture and the best reference point. And the other major reference point which we all have for romance is Hollywood. Whether it is our favorite TV show or just the multitude of TV shows we've watched or movies, virtually every single movie we watch has got every single TV show we watch, there is a romantic element and that informs whether we think about it or not. That informs the way in which we think about relationships. And I think in the midst of all of that, I sense the Holy Spirit is lifting up a standard and tonight He's calling you and me to rally around that standard. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, we see the Apostle Paul writes to a young man called Timothy at the stage. Timothy is leading a church, quite a large church. We assume Timothy is at this stage single. We're not 100% sure. We can't give a concrete answer around that, but it does seem that he was probably single at this time. Paul writes to him, he says, don't let anyone think less of you because you are young. Rather, the implication is, be an example to all believers in what you say, in the way you live, in your love, your faith, and your purity. Be an example. He says, Timothy, be an example in a bunch of different things. And the one that I want us to focus on this evening is the one that possibly seems to slip by the wayside from time to time for us as believers. And the invitation that I want to hold before us is, would we live lives as examples of purity? Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, I want you to be an example. Maybe you're the youngest person in the room. Nevertheless, be an example. Perhaps you're here and you're not the youngest person in the room anymore. Perhaps you actually have younger people looking up to you by now already. Why don't you choose to be an example of purity? Be an example of purity, as it says here, to believers, but also to the world. One of the greatest privileges for me of being married is the fact that my marriage is meant to demonstrate and to testify to a broken world how much Jesus loves His church. That's probably the number one reason for marriage from Scripture, that and kids. But you and I, when we are married, we get to live a life that demonstrates to a broken world how much Christ loves the church. And you know, if I looked at that, if I was an enemy that wanted to destroy Christ's church and the number one picture on earth of Christ's church and the way in which Christ loves His church is marriage, then I've got to break down marriage. Because if I can make people think that marriage is this half-hearted thing, husbands don't really love their wives, wives don't really follow their husbands, you know, that doesn't really happen immediately. That's how people are going to think about the church. Jesus doesn't really love His church. He isn't really committed to His church. He doesn't really give His life for His church. And so that's clearly the enemy's strategy, his plan. He says, let me destroy this marriage thing and people's thinking of marriage because if I can destroy their thinking of marriage, I can destroy how they think about Jesus and his love for the church. And in the midst of all of that destruction, I see Christ raising up a standard and saying, let us demonstrate to the world it is different. 
You know the crazy thing about all of the media that we consume, the entertainment media, is how impure all of it is. I don't know when last I saw a TV show, a movie from virtually any place on the planet in which purity was upheld as a beautiful thing. As a matter of fact, what do we see from Hollywood? Well, debauchery is celebrated. Being drunk is seen as a good thing. Going out and just being crazy and living a worldly good life is something. Man, we can make movies. Your friends are going to lift you up when that's great. Purity is not held before us as a norm. Vile language is encouraged, whether it be crude swearing or blasphemy. It's the norm. It's the way we are. If I'm really upset or really angry, if I'm really happy, if I'm really joyful, the, the way in which to express that is with vile language. And that's how before us as the norm. Chastity is looked down upon. As a matter of fact, it's demonstrated as a sign of weakness. Who's ever noticed that in the movie? Chastity is not looked up upon. It's, oh man, you're still a virgin? That's like a slur. It's a swear word. What's wrong with you? And purity is not held before us as a norm. And so the invitation for all of us who are believers that I believe Scripture holds before us today is would we be an example of purity to a broken world? We shouldn't be surprised by the brokenness in the world because we live in a broken world. We shouldn't be surprised that the world is drawn to all of this debauchery. But we shouldn't be influenced by it either. And in a relational context, and I guess those of us who are married, I'm sure you can agree with this, that it's probably in many, many relationships a desire and the fruit of purity is probably the missing one of the key missing ingredients for a flourishing relationship. Those of you getting married, we have this joke in the office that came from a, a series. We stole the name from a, a church in America. That's something different. Similar years ago. We did a series in one of our, our bigger relationship weeks when we still had big venues and we were able to accommodate hundreds at a time. And um, Varsity was open, which helped as well. And we did a series called Becoming the Person the Person You're Looking For is Looking For. Because you're sitting here in church and you want to follow Jesus. And you're passionate about Christ and His kingdom. And so you're looking for somebody that will aid you and draw you and lead you in that, in your relationship. And the question is, that person that you're looking for, are you the person that they're looking for? If you're Ladies, as an example, if you're looking for a husband who's going to lead you in godliness, who's going to pray with you, he's going to be upright and righteous, he's probably not looking for a woman who is going out with every second guy. He, that guy that you've just described, he's probably looking for a certain type of individual. And are we becoming the person, the person we're looking for, is looking for? Are we willing to be that example, that difference? And that person you're looking for, I'm pretty sure that virtually all of us, if we think about it, maybe we'd use a different word to describe it, but if we have sort of our, our list in the back of our mind, 
as what are the things we're looking for? Purity is probably up there somewhere. We want somebody who is pure of heart. We want somebody who is pure of their intentions. We want somebody who is pure in their language, in their vocabulary, in their sexuality, and a whole bunch of other things. And if we can find ways to bring purity, to celebrate purity, and to bring it into our relationships, I think our relationships are going to be that much stronger. Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, a verse that many of us probably know, part of the Beatitudes, Jesus speaking, and he says, God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. And so as we speak about relationship week, the most important, the first relationship is our relationship with Jesus. A key in your relationship to Jesus and drawing near to Christ is purity in your heart. Psalm chapter 24, we see the same thought. Who may climb the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in His holy place? Only those whose hands and hearts are pure. Who do not worship idols and never tell lies, they will receive the Lord's blessing and have a right relationship with God, their Savior. Such people may seek you, that's God, and worship in your presence, O God of Jacob. And so as we want our relationships to flourish, I believe we need to embrace purity within our relationships. If we want our relationship with Christ to flourish, we need to embrace godly purity in our personal, private lives. And as we do that individually, as we do that collectively in our relationship with husband and wife, boyfriend, girlfriend, I believe you're going to experience the grace and the blessing of God more than in any other way. I remember a couple of years ago sitting in, a, um, in the office and at church one night talking to a, a couple about their relationship. And they were talking about a whole bunch of different things and things they were doing and the way they were conducting themselves. And I just loving that. I said, stop. I don't know how to do the relationship that the type of, that you're talking about now. I can't help you with the behavior and the actions in the relationship that you have right now. I, I can't help you with it. I only know how to do relationships one way. And if that's the way you want to do relationships, I can help you around that. And the only way I know how is the godly way, is the Christian way, is the Bible-believing, Jesus-following way. If you want help around that, I can help you. I can't help you with a, a different form, a different type of relationship. There are many different ways of doing relationship, but I can't help you with that. I don't know how it works in those ways. I don't know how relationships work where we don't have Jesus at the center of what we're doing. I don't know. But I do know when we have Jesus at the center of what we're doing, He breathes over our relationships and He makes them possible. And relationships move from being, being these places of tremendous hurt and punishment and suffering to a place of beauty and life-giving and hope and support. Which I believe is what relationships were always meant to be. So a couple of things about this purity that I believe God wants us to gather around is He raises a banner. Purity in our relationships that we should hold on to. The first one is purity in our wisdom. He says to us in James chapter 3, the wisdom from above is first of all pure. Did you realize that? That God's wisdom is many, many things. But the very first thing the wisdom of God is, is pure. It is also peace-loving 
gentle at all times and willing to yield to others. And these are obviously really important characteristics in every relationship. It's full of the mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism. It is always sincere. But I wonder in our relational wisdom, how much do we seek purity? Do we say, God, the the wisdom that I seek in this situation, in my relationship with you, in my relationship with the significant other in my life, God, I want pure wisdom. Wisdom that is, first of all, pure. Philippians chapter 4 sort of takes this thought just a little bit further. And he says, and now, brothers and sisters, one final thing. He's written this whole letter and he's sort of beginning to end. Fix your thoughts on what is true, and honorable, and right, and pure, and lovely, and admirable. Think about the things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then the God of peace will be with you. I want the God of peace to be with me and with my relationship. And so Paul says here, well, everything you learned and received from me, and I think in, a, in our context, a great way sort of to interpret that me that he's talking about there is those people that you know God has appointed to speak the word of God into your life. Those things you learned from them, hold on to them. Keep putting it into practice, he says. But then I want us to go just to verse 8, this verse that we have at the beginning there. And I want you to read this in a relational context. Imagine if, with regards to your significant other, you chose to apply this all day, every day. Fix your thoughts on what is true. What if you chose in your relationship to fix all of your thoughts only on what is true? To only think of the true things about your spouse or your significant other? What if you chose to say, I'm only going to think about my spouse with regard to the things that are honorable. I'm going to choose to leave that. I'm not going to think about it. And I'm not saying we mustn't talk about the issues that come up. Relationship are challenging. We need, and my wife's going to help us with communication and the marriage preparation course helps us to have some of those conversations. There are things we obviously need to talk through. But I'm not going to dwell on them. I'm not going to keep my mind focused on the things that are not honoring to my spouse. And right, I'm only going to think about what is right towards my spouse. I'm only going to think about what is pure and lovely and admirable. Imagine if we were able to rework our minds and our thinking around this other person in our life and every single thought about them we put through this filter. I think relationships would look a little bit different. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. What if the only things that you spent your time thinking about your significant other were the things that are excellent and worthy of praise? I think that would be a pretty good starting point for a relationship. Can I also say if you're in a relationship or you want to be in a relationship and you don't have those things, you're probably not in the right relationship. If you're in a relationship and you're struggling to find things that are excellent and worthy of praise about, you need to go back to the drawing board and go back to the place that you spend all your time in relationships about praying. Say, God, God, I'm in the right place, God. 
God, there's nothing here. I've got, I'm not finding things that are pure and excellent. Obviously, in marriage, if you find yourself in that place, it's a different solution because exit is not a problem. I mean, it's not an option. I love, I think it's um, John Piper who says, how do you know if you've married the right person? Well, you just look at the marriage certificate. <laughs> if their name's on the marriage certificate, you married the right person. And then you need to go to God and say, God, I need to find a way to make this work. And guess what? What he says there, the God of peace will be with you. You see, when we try and do marriage, relationship, and I'm talking obviously about relationships in the context of leading towards marriage, kind of for me, that's one of the big priors. The big assumptions is that I'm only in this relationship to find out if this is the person I want to marry. If I'm not in this relationship to find that out, then why on earth am I in this relationship? And you know what is a successful relationship? It's a relationship that answers the question. A relationship where we're together and we get to that point and I realize you are not the person that I want to marry. It's not a failed relationship. It's a successful relationship. Because the question wasn't that I'm, go- I'm going to marry you. It's I want to find out if I'm going to marry you. And as long as I conduct that in a healthy, beautiful way. You know, I share this often because I think it's important to put this out there. When my wife met me, when we met one another, I was in a relationship with a different girl. And there's a long story behind that, and she might actually tell that on, on next two weeks' time when she, she shares. And then I and the other girl, we, our relationship ended, and then started spending time with Lynette, who's now my wife, and obviously things developed from there. But you know the crazy thing? The previous girl led worship at our wedding. She, my wife actually wanted her to be one of the bridesmaids, but she decided not to. She thought it would just be slightly too awkward. <laughs> but the point is, if we do relationships well and right, it doesn't have to end up in tragedy. If we do it well and we respect purity and healthy boundaries, it doesn't mean that when it ends, we can never ever be friends again. And so it's important that we Hold on to purity in our thinking about our spouses. And so we, when I'm talking about relationships, I'm purely talking about relationships in a context of leading to marriage tonight. Obviously, I guess these thoughts would apply to virtually all relationships as well, friendship, relationships, business, all of those things would be good if we apply these. But we're today thinking about the context of marriage. So we want purity in our, our wisdom, the wisdom that we get from God. Purity in our thinking. Purity in our behavior. Galatians chapter 5. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. We're going to look at a bunch of different verses like this tonight. 
One of the reasons that I've put a whole bunch of verses here is because when we leave and we guys go out of this room and we spend a whole bunch of time socializing and just having fun because we're allowed to tonight and we can gather, and eventually we go home. I don't want you going home with Philip said, and this was Philip's thought, and I want you going home with this is what the Word said. This is what I'm convinced the Word holds before me. And so can I say, when I read Galatians chapter 5, I read that I cannot be involved in, pick any one of those ones above. Idolatry, obviously. And call myself a Christian. I cannot be involved in quarreling and say that I'm a Christian because Jesus says that I will not inherit the kingdom of God. I cannot embrace jealousy or outbursts of anger or sexual immorality or any form of impurity or lustful pleasures and want to tell myself that I'm following Jesus. Scripture is explicit about that, that those, they don't go together. It's one or the other. I'm either working towards inheriting the kingdom of God or I'm not. I can't say that I'm holding on to Jesus and I'm following Jesus, but on Friday night I'm busy with one of these things. or In my relationships I'm given to selfish ambition or dissension or outbursts of anger. Outbursts of anger is one that Maybe someone here, you need to go back and say, whoa, God, I need to repent of that. Outbursts of anger is not something which in any way God is drawn towards. Some of us, we think, and I've spoken to some people who think they have a right to be angry. And if I can be with live streaming, maybe I mustn't be this blunt, but let me do it anyway. Yes, you have a right to be angry, but then you also have a right to go to hell. It's your choice. You can't say that I'm holding on to my anger, but I'm also following Jesus. Outbursts of anger. No, what I need to do then is I need to step back, and maybe it's an important place for me to throw this out there as well, that not one of us sitting here, probably not, definitely not me, is pure in all of my ways. But isn't that the message of the gospel, that Jesus came to make me right where I'm not right? That He came to carry the punishment for all of my wrongs so that I can be made right. Isn't that the message of the gospel? Isn't the message of the gospel that if I have outbursts of anger, I can bring them to Jesus knowing that He has already carried the punishment for it, but not only has He already carried the punishment for it, He has also made a way to bring the transformation in it. And that's where I come to Christ from. So tonight as we see areas of impurity in our own lives, and I'm sure all of us will probably, as I was preparing this, I saw many in my life. But I saw God raising up this standard, this flag, this banner over there. And I thought, God, I'm going to gather together around that banner. Not because I'm pure, not because I've got it all worked out, not because everything is fine and perfect and I can sit here with a big smile and I've got it together, but I can gather there because Jesus is there and He will make it right. And I'm gathering there not because I'm pure. I'm gathering there because I want to be pure. I'm not gathering there because I've got it together. I'm gathering there because I'm going to trust Jesus that He will get it together. And so right from the outset, do not let the enemy use this as a door to throw condemnation into your life. Do not use it. Let, don't let the enemy use this as an opportunity to make you Wallow in your guilt. See it as an invitation to bring that guilt to Jesus.
See it as an invitation to say, Jesus, I have failed in this area. I continue to. Maybe you're struggling with outbursts of anger is a great example. That's a great way to say, Jesus, I realize that is wrong and I don't want to continue in this way. It doesn't mean I won't have an outburst of anger again. But when I do, I will acknowledge that it is wrong. Because it's not what you have for me, Jesus. And so God, I seek purity. He carries on in Galatians 5. The Holy Spirit produces a different kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There is no law against those things. Verse 24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to His cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our life. Tonight, holiness is a very close parallel to purity. Holiness is being like God. None of us are perfectly holy except that we receive the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit does incredibly amazing things in our lives. He is the helper. He is the comforter. He is the empowerer. He pours all of His gifts. And, but you know the first thing that the Holy Spirit works in our lives is holiness. Holiness, purity. He sets us apart for God. Sometimes, most of the time, holiness, purity, starts with a choice. It's a choice. I was saying when I was recording for this morning's message, I cringe inside of me every single time I see a believer engaged in one of these actions. You know why? Not because of the action itself, but because somehow, in some way, we still haven't embraced the desire for holiness. Somehow, in some way, we still allow, we still think it's okay to live some of those fruit, the ungodly elements of those fruit that we just read just now. And as I was sharing on the video, I kind of found, you know, I can think of an incredibly good way to stop if you're struggling with any of those areas. What if every single time, the moment you catch yourself doing it, we're going to speak about language just now. Imagine every, maybe you say, God, I realize my tongue needs to be sanctified. You know, every single time I hear a Christian swearing, my heart just breaks. Like, God, what are we missing about you? What are we missing? God, how can we not want to embrace holiness in our mouths? We'll see that in a moment. But you know what a great way to stop swearing as an example? Every single time when you catch yourself swearing, if you really want to stop, if you catch yourself swearing, stop right where you are. Look at everybody around you and say, I'm sorry, I've sinned against you and against God. You know how quickly you'll stop swearing. Every time in any conversation, you stop yourself right there and then and you repent. You bring it before God. You'll stop in a heartbeat. Because it's a choice to change your behavior. And yes, it's a choice that the Holy Spirit empowers us to do. It's not about our own strength. Please don't misunderstand me. But all of these texts we're going to be reading tonight place an element of obligation on you and on me around our behavior. These texts don't say, sit back and allow the Holy Spirit just suddenly to make you all pure and holy. No. The texts all say, you engage and take ownership of your behavior talking about purity tonight. Romans chapter 13, 
This is all the more urgent for you know how late it is. Time is running out. and It is pretty late, but hey, we've got a bit to go. Wake up. For our salvation, in other words, Jesus coming, is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is almost gone. The day of salvation will soon be here. So remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes and put on the shining armor of right living. I love that sentence. Remove your dark deeds. Who's going to remove your dark deeds? You are. Yes, empowered by the Holy Spirit. But this doesn't say, so let somebody else come and remove. You remove your dark deeds and put on the shining armor of right living. Let's do that. Let's choose tonight to say, God, I'm going to put on the shining armor of right living so that I can be an example in the way that Paul told Timothy to be an example. I'm going to put on the shining armor of right living, and as I do that, I'm going to gather around a standard that's been raised with a whole bunch of other people who are also wearing shining armor of right living. And yes, in the midst of that, there's some ugly spots in that shining armor, but hey, we'll polish them as we carry on. But at least we start by making a decision to say, I'm putting on the shining armor of right living. Because we belong to the day, we must live decent lives for all to see. One of the biggest lies that we hear in Christendom is that my relationship with Christ is private. It is not. Not according to Jesus, at least. Great parallel in marriage. My relationship with my wife is not private. It is private in the sense of our conversation. It's private in the sense of what happens behind our closed doors is between me and her. But it's not private in the sense that nobody else knows about it. It's not private in the sense that I go out and I live my life and she goes out and she lives her life and maybe somewhere along the way some people might figure out that we're married. It's not private in that sense. The moment that my wife and I step out of our home and we step where there's any other person, whether it be our children or whoever else, we have a duty, we have an obligation to demonstrate Christ's love. We can't then step away from it. Then our marriage is not private. What happens internally is private. But our marriage is not just for ourselves. We have a duty, as it says here, we must live decent lives for all to see. Don't participate in the darkness of wild parties and drunkenness and sexual promiscuity and immoral living or in quarreling and jealousy. Instead, clothe yourself with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ and don't let yourself think about ways to indulge your evil desires. Don't think about ways. Talking about purity in our behavior. 1 Peter chapter 4. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourself with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is, that is past suffices. There was enough time in the past for doing what the Gentiles want to do. Living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them 
in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. You see, if we gather together around that standard that's been raised, the world is going to look at us and say, what are you doing? They're going to malign. They're going to, what is the wording that's used there? They're going to think it's strange. They are surprised when we do not join them in that same flood. Now the different translations say in the same flood of dissipation, of debauchery, of celebrating impurity. You know, every time someone gets upset with me, fortunately that hasn't happened in many years, it did a lot when I was at varsity, every time they wanted to malign me because I didn't want to be part of that same flood of debauchery, I drew strength from the scripture. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. They can laugh at me now, but one day they will stand before my father and they're not going to be laughing anymore. And my prayer is that they will be able to be smiling there because I know the grace of God. My prayer is that they would experience the saving grace of Jesus, that they too can step away from the debauchery and put on the armor of, what is that beautiful phrase that we had there, of, of right living, the shining armor of right living, that they could put that on too. You know, if they want to laugh at me for not joining them, they are welcome to. There comes a day when I'm going to stand before Jesus, and so will they. And when I stand before Jesus, my judgment is going to be important. And I want to do what is right before Him for that day. Then I've put it here, sort of we've mentioned it a couple of times, but there are just so many passages about this, and I haven't even listed even close to all of them. But I've just decided, let's put this here because this is probably the number one lie when it comes to relationships all over the place. If you want a thriving, healthy relationship, it starts with purity in your sexuality. Even just this week, my wife was counseling a, a married couple who are, and we're all reasonably adults here, who are really struggling in the intimacy, the physical side of it. Intimacy is a lot more than that. You know the big problem? The stuff they got up to even with each other before they got married. And now they're struggling in their marriage. They, they say to her what every married couple says, why was it so easy to sleep together before we got married? It's so hard now. Well, you have to be a brain surgeon to understand the enemy before you married does everything to get you together and after you married to get you apart. That's his strategy. That's his plan. But look what Scripture has to say about purity in our sexuality. In Acts chapter 15, we have the early church. It's growing. There are a whole bunch of non-Jews becoming Jesus followers, and the apostles get together, and they figure out, what are we going to do about all of these non-Jews? Do they have to become Jewish in their action now, in the way that they conduct their lives, their behavior, whatever? And then they say this in Acts chapter 15 from verse 28. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay no greater burden on you than these few requirements. You must abstain from eating food offered to idols, from consuming blood or the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. Three things you can't eat. One thing you mustn't do. If you do this, you will do well. Farewell, the end of their letter. You want to do well? Abstain from sexual immorality. 
Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4, Give honor to marriage and remain faithful to one another in marriage. God will surely judge people who are immoral and those who commit adultery. And yet the crazy thing is I mentioned earlier, I don't know when last I saw any entertainment show, movie, story, TV show, whatever it is, where the very first thing the couple do is in sleep together. The very first night, the very first day. And if they didn't the first time, then the second time. It's absolutely 100% the norm in the world. And it is absolutely 100% destructive to any relationship. You see, when Jesus holds these things before us, we sang about him being a good, good father. He doesn't hold these things before us because of some... Him just wanting to be a party pooper. He holds it before us because he's a good, good father who loves us and cares for us and knows what's best for us. He holds it before us because he wants us to enter into a relationship where we can prosper and where we can be beautifully, physically, passionately intimate with our marriage partner. And he knows the incredible destruction that sexual immorality does outside of that. Revelation chapter 21, verse 8. As for the cowardly, do you guys know cowardice is a sin? The faithless, the detestable. As for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars. That's quite a hefty list right there. Their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Ouch. That's a hard word in the modern world. Blessed are those who wash their robes, Revelation 22 tells us. They will be permitted to enter through the gates of the city and eat the fruit from the tree of life. Outside the city are the dogs, the sorcerers, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idol worshippers, and all who love to live a lie. God sees sexual immorality in the same breath as murder, as the same breath as idol worship, in the same breath as sorcery. It is not something which is just sort of another thing in his eyes. The damage that it does to us, to our relationships, we cannot begin to fathom. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, I love verse 18. Run from sexual sin. Run. Paul writes also to Timothy, and he says, I think it's 2 Timothy 2, verse 22, if I'm not mistaken, flee youthful lusts. You know that image of fleeing? I'm not talking about flee with an A that comes in. It's not that flee, no. Imagine for a moment a crazy, hungry lion walks through that door. Most of us probably aren't going to say, oh, wait a minute, there's a crazy hungry lion in here. It's probably a good idea for me to remove myself from his property, from his kind of geographic space. So can we just in the most orderly, I'm just going to walk past him and just go out that door and just hope that I don't disrupt too much anything. No, what's probably going to happen is we're going to run as fast as we can, as quickly as we can, out 
the first open door we can find. That's fleeing. And sometimes because of our perceived sense of dignity, I love what Reinhard Bonke says, dignity, dignity is beautiful, dignity is great, but dignity is not the fruit of the Holy Spirit. There are times when we must be willing to let our dignity fly out the door because of our desire for purity. Do you rather want to be dignified or do you rather want to be glorified? Do you rather want to be dignified or do you rather want to be pure in your relationship before Christ? So what do you do when there is sexual sin? I hope and pray you do what Paul tells the Corinthians to do. Run. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? And here's one which we hate to hear in the modern world. You do not belong to yourself. So the next time a Christian person wants to put up their hand and say, I have rights, then you say, no, you don't. You do not belong to yourself. For God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. If you believe in the cross of Jesus Christ, Paul is saying here, then you need to honor God with your body. You need to run from sexual sin. And I want to just echo again because I know how the enemy comes and harps on around this. Do not see this as a condemnation tonight if the Holy Spirit is convicting of you or something. See it as an invitation to come to Jesus. There's another beautiful passage I'll probably preach on again at some stage, which says, Do not rejoice over me, my enemy. When I've fallen, I will arise. I will bear the indignation of the Lord until he pleads my cause and executes justice for me. Do not rejoice over me, my enemy. When I have fallen, I will arise. And perhaps there are areas where you have fallen. The Spirit of the Lord wants to say over you, but you can arise and you will arise. Yes, there may be a time when you need to bear the indignation of the Lord, but He will plead His case, your case for you. He will execute righteousness for you. Tonight is not condemnation for the impurity in my life. Tonight is an invitation to gather around a new standard. Ephesians chapter 5, I've mentioned this, but I just kind of want to pop this in there again. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are His dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered Himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. Let there be no sexual immorality, I think we've got that point now, impurity or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. Obscene stories, foolish talk, and coarse jokes, these are not for you. Purity in our speech. You know how many couples I've sat with around a counseling table, and one of the first things that I need to say to them is, can we just stop, 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 because they're normally fighting by the time they arrive there. You know, couples don't come for counseling, whatever, because it's going so fantastically well. Stop. And then just as one stops, stop. You kind of, it's like speaking to five-year-olds. It's weird what happens to us when our hearts are involved. And eventually when I get them to stop, 
I say this often. I don't know how many couples I've said this to. Can we start by just being nice to each other? You know that sounds obvious? Do you know how often in our speech we stop being nice to the other person? You know when you go on that first date? We've all been. Has anyone here never ever been on a first date? Don't raise your hand. But we will pray for you just now. You know, when you go on that first date, not only do you think about exactly how you look, what you wear, how you dress, but you are so deliberate about the words you use. And then as we grow in relationship, we grow more comfortable, we get less deliberate around our words. It's obviously a natural progression, but we have to be sure that we keep a healthy verbal culture. What if you were to say, can you imagine your relationship? Perhaps your parents' relationship. It's not to point fingers at them, but just the reality of where many lives are. Maybe your parents really got this right. Probably for the most part of us, they didn't. Can you imagine your parents' relationship if they chose to only speak up to one another? If they chose always with their lips to honor one another, to speak purely to one another, Never to use bad language towards one another. For those of you who are in a relationship, here's a great test. If you're up for it. It's a challenging one. Make your partner feel really good about themselves before you do this. Make them feel really good about you before you do this. And then ask them, how do you experience my speech towards you? Take a bit of time and allow them honestly to tell you. There are probably going to be some times when they don't experience your speech as being encouraging and uplifting. You know how healthy that will be for your relationship if you could change just that. Just the way in which we speak to one another. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. You can be sure, and we've saw this in this over and over, no immoral, impure, or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of God. Christ and of God. A greedy person is an idolater, worshipping the things of this world. Don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins. Passages like that I always find super interesting. Because you know why it's there? It's there because there are going to be people who try to excuse these sins. There are going to be people who try and say, it's okay for me to speak this. It's not okay for you to speak this way. No, but one of my big bugbears... I want to be authentic when I come to Jesus. Well, do you know you can be authentic when you come to Jesus and reverential? No, but I want to be able to just swear. and You can't be swear and go crazy to the king of the universe. You can say, God, this is how I feel. This is the emotion that is stirring inside of me. But God, it is wrong and I need you to change and to transform me. God, you know you can come to God in that context, is authentic or to be transformed. I'd pick transformed. God, I don't want to come and just, I don't have a right to be angry at God and swear at God and bring all of my crude language. If there's crude language in your prayer, you honestly need to ask yourself, who are you praying to? You need to ask yourself, am I obeying Scripture just in my personal, private life, never mind the fact that I'm speaking to the King of the universe? 
who is holy and righteous in all of its ways. Philip, you don't understand. I need to be authentic. Yes, an authentic sinner. You're welcome. Or you can come and be an authentic Christian. God, these are the sins in my heart. God, this is the stuff that needs to be washed and to be cleansed. It's one thing for it to be there. It's a different thing to embrace it. If it's there and I repent of it, I'm willing to walk away from it, that's amazing. If it's there and I embrace it because that's me, well, you can stay you. I'd rather be conformed to the image of Jesus. That's the invitation that God holds before us. Carefully, where we're carrying on, do not participate in the things these people do. Wait, turn back first. Don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins. The implication is there are going to be people who try and excuse these sins. And then, Paul, where are we still here? In Ephesians, so it is Paul, he says, For the anger of God will fall on all who disobey him. Ouch. Don't participate in the things these people do. For once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of light. We saw just now that armor of light. For this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. And if there's something that's being produced in you that is not good and right and true, it's not coming from Jesus. And in your relationship, that will be a deal breaker. Verse 10, carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. Yes, that's what Jesus says. When you're aware of deeds of evil, don't ignore them. Expose them. It is shameful shameful even to talk about the things that the ungodly people do in secret. We're almost done. James chapter 3. Still speaking about a purified tongue, pure speech. James chapter 3. Sometimes our tongue praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. And then he carries on about a spring of water that bubbles out both fresh and bitter water. Does a fig tree produce olives or a grapevine produce figs? You can't draw fresh water from a salty spring. In your relationship, does blessing and cursing proceed from the same mouth? Do you speak up? Do you speak blessing and favor and grace and courteously? As I said, my wife will come and share with us around the practical way to deal with conflict. But you know you can deal with conflict without Losing the purity in your speech. You can still speak well of someone even if you disagree with them. You can still speak up towards someone. As a matter of fact, Jesus says, think of everybody else as better than you. Ouch. Yes, even the person that right now irritates you the most, think of them as better than you and speak up to them as if they're better than you. And so as we, we close tonight, I just want to re-extend this invitation. That purity in our relationships, I honestly believe, is a missing ingredient. If we were to take these elements of purity and build them into our relationships with one another, specifically our romantic relationships, I think those relationships would look a little bit different. There would be so much less destruction and so much more encouragement, so much more joy in lifting one another up 
1 Corinthians chapter 6, don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Once again, it's another one of those verse phrases. It's put there because we want to fool ourselves. But don't. Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols or commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves or greedy people or drunkards or abusive or cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. The great news is, Scripture doesn't end there. Verse 11. Some of you were once like that. We were once like that. Some of us sitting there here were once like that. Some of us sitting here are still, in many ways, still like that. But you were cleansed. You were made holy. Holiness and purity are in this context we're speaking about tonight, close on synonyms. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So tonight, the invitation that I want to hold before us, I would love for us to spend time praying with as many people as we need to pray with. Even those of us who are joining on Facebook, if you are aware of the Holy Spirit is bringing a conviction of sinfulness, of impurity in your life, the great thing is we can stop right now and we can turn to Jesus and ask Him to wash us, to cleanse us, to purify us. You were cleansed. Perhaps for some of us tonight, it will be a night of cleansing. Maybe from the impurity of greed. Maybe the impurity in our language, the impurity in our sexuality, the impurity in our thinking, the impurity in our wisdom. Maybe you're here in a relationship and you realize that your mind is filled with impure thoughts towards your spouse. I'm not talking about sexual, impure, that too, but just impure thoughts. Just not those things which are pure and noble. We spoke about it at the beginning. And righteous and true. But there are a whole bunch of other thoughts that have crept in. You want to bring those before Jesus. He will cleanse you. Can we stand tonight? I want us to pray together. Titus chapter 1, one last verse as we close. Everything is pure to those whose hearts are pure. Nothing is pure to those who are corrupt and unbelieving because their minds, their consciences have been corrupted. Some people claim they know God, but they deny Him by the way they live. They are detestable and disobedient, worthless for doing anything good. Our purity, the purity in our action, the purity in our life, the purity in our thought, the purity in our wisdom, the purity in our behavior, it starts with the purity in our hearts. To the pure, all things are pure. To those who are pure of heart, God says He will bless them and we will see God. So I want to pray a prayer over us, myself definitely too, that God would come and that He would purify our hearts. And then when I'm done doing that, um, I haven't done something like this in a while, I just sense God wants us just to start stepping out boldly again. You know, church is back and yes, we need to maintain social distancing. So let's respect that as well. But I want in a sense for you to see a a banner being raised up here. 
And if tonight you need to make a decision to say, God, I need to gather around that standard, Lord. Tonight, Jesus, I need to make a commitment in my heart to live towards purity. I want to gather around your standard, Jesus, that you are lifting up. Then I want to invite you to step forward and just take a moment and we're going to pray together. Just be bold and say, God, I'm just stepping out. I'm doing something. I'm not just staying where I am. You can come right now as well. I'm not staying where I am. God, I'm putting down a monument that I can look at a week from now, a month, years, decades from now. That night, I made a decision to gather together with other believers and gather together around a standard of purity. So, Lord Jesus, I thank you tonight for every soul here. I thank you, God, that you sent your Son not to condemn the world, but so that the world through him may be saved. I thank you tonight, God, that you bring your word to us, not to condemn us, but as an invitation, Lord, that we may come and be changed and be transformed. And so I pray for every one of us, Holy Spirit, would you make us pure? Would you work purity in our hearts, in our lives? Would you come and change, Lord God, the very fiber of our being, Lord God, that is so sinful, that remains sinful? We just lay it before you and we say, Holy Spirit, work purity, God. We want to cast off the deeds of darkness, God. We don't want to continue walking in darkness. We want to take those dark deeds and remove those dirty clothes. And right now, in Jesus' name, we want to put on the shiny armor, shining armor of right living, Jesus. God, I pray for everyone here who is aware of an area of impurity in their lives, and that's probably all of us. I pray for grace, Lord, to begin to walk in purity, to cast off those filthy deeds, Jesus, but to embrace the purity that Christ holds before us. In Jesus' name. Tonight, if you need to make that commitment, don't you just want to step forward and say, God, tonight I'm gathering around a banner. Maybe I've done this many times before. Maybe I'm doing it for the first time or whatever it may be. This is really just between you and God. We're not counting heads. We're not taking photos and such. We're not, this is just an opportunity for you to say, God, I'm gathering around a banner. The enemy is coming into this world like a flood and God, you're raising up a standard. I'm gathering around that standard, Lord. Paul, you told Timothy that he must be an example in purity. God, I want to be an example of purity, God. Those of you in the front, they just want to just step a little bit more forward and maybe away from the aisles. Maybe you guys can just file a little bit to your right-hand side just to make space for the others that need to come through. He still wants to just respond to it. I'm going to ask all of you in front, don't you want to raise your hands? I want to lead you in a prayer. So love to walk around and lay hands on you. Maybe we'll still do that after we've turned the camera off. Do you want to pray with me? Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you sent your son 
not to leave me as I am, but to transform me, to wash me, to cleanse me. Jesus, I see you raising a standard. I see all around me, Lord, depravity and debauchery, immorality, impurity. It's become the norm. Jesus, I repent for even sometimes following in that way. But tonight, Jesus, I gather around your banner. I come together around your standard. I put up my hand, Jesus. I say, here am I. Purify me. Wash me. Cleanse me. Let my life be an example to other believers and to a broken world. Holy Spirit, give me the strength that even when others malign me, when they look down on me, when they laugh at me, that I will remember tonight I have chosen to gather around the banner of purity. I choose to do it your way, Jesus. I don't always know your way, but I pray that you would show me your way. Your way, Lord, is the way that I choose. From today, for all of eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Christian Church. We believe that you enjoyed your time with us, establishing God's kingdom and His glory in your life. For more info, call us on 012-362-1363. Email us, pretoria at shofaronline.org. Browse our website, www.shofaronline.org. Or like us on facebook.com forward slash shofarpretoria.